to St Matthew's this morning. It's great to see you all here. Uh, Listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's stand and sing to the God who is there, to the God who cares, who is our powerful saviour. Please stand and let's sing. Welcome again uh, to those of you who are here in the building. Uh, Welcome especially if it's your first time here this year. Indeed, if it's your first time, a special welcome to you. And uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Uh, We're so glad of this medium to be able to connect uh, together like this. Uh, For our guests, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthews and it's wonderful to have you joining us this morning. Uh, This morning, we're back in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We were there this time last year, right from the beginning. We pick it up in the famous parable that Jesus gave about the the sower and the seeds and the soils. And our our senior minister, Bruce, will be showing us the the reassurance that gives us and also the challenge it gives us as a a new new year begins. uh, To make sure that we're like that fourth soil, uh, which proves to be the kind of ground out of which a great plant, a very productive plant, grows. And uh, that's something really looking forward to as well. And I don't mean to make light of these things, but something else to look forward to is our first morning tea for the year. 
which will be held across in the function room. And I do want to thank folks who've helped put that together. Uh, it's not quite like raising the dead, but there's quite a bit to get going to, to get things reorganised. So that's, uh, that's something to look forward to. Right now, we're going to come before our great God in prayer. Uh, firstly, asking for his help as we gather in his name and then lifting our hearts in thanksgiving to him before together we say a wonderful psalm. So let's prepare ourselves for the rest of the service and seek God's help in this prayer of preparation. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And shall we pray in thanks to the God who is there, who cares for us and is our powerful Saviour. Gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us, for life and health and safety, for power to work, leisure to rest, for all that is beautiful in creation and human life. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for the gift of your spirit, and for the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And Psalm 95 has featured in the uh, prayer book services of the Church of England since way back in the early 1500s. It's a call where we call to each other to praise God with all that makes us who we are. And then we listen to the warning of God that when we hear his word, we make sure we take it into ourselves and we don't just let it flow past us. So can we say this as a word of encouragement to one another? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, though they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray. So I declared on my oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. It's time to catch you up on a little bit of family news here at St Matthew's. And I'll just reinforce what I said earlier to those of you who may be new with us. Uh, we're really glad to have you here and we'd love to know that you've been with us. Uh, one way you could do that is by using the QR code uh, that you'll see up on the screen there, or that'll be on your screen at home. Uh, the, um, the details are also in the description field uh, under your image at home. 
Uh, of course, you could come and say hello to me and I'd love to meet you and I'll be at the back of the, um, the service there, uh, at the end there, uh, if you've got to rush off or please come over and enjoy some morning tea with us. Uh, this week at St Matthew's is a significant week for us. Uh, it's the way in which we often begin the, the new year, uh, a week of prayer and fasting. And the essence of this is that we're taking a special time to seek God's blessing on us as his people here and through us in the wider community. Uh, so there are all sorts of ways in which we'll express that together. Uh, each uh, morning there'll be a, a prayer meeting uh, that Bruce will be hosting our senior minister online. Uh, there'll be lunchtime prayer meetings, so the, the morning meetings start at seven. The lunchtime meetings will be here in the church building. Uh, you're very welcome to come and join us for an hour or so uh, from 12.30. Uh, and then over the, um, the next three evenings, there'll be prayer and praise meetings. Uh, tomorrow night, we'll have a, a special prayer meeting for those who are living with difficulty, including those who are seeking healing uh, in any kind of way. And we'll be praying with and for you. Uh, on Tuesday night, we're praying for family members who are not walking with the Lord. We're especially praying for, for the Lord to be kind to them and turn their hearts to him. And then on Wednesday evening, uh, up in the Darley Smith building in the, uh, the auditorium there, we'll have a special night of prayer and praise. Uh, we're also encouraging you to find ways in which you might be able to especially um, devote yourself to prayer and to seeking the Lord. Uh, whether that's through fasting, uh, as many people practice for a day or, or, or for more, or fasting from food or fasting from something else. Uh, in a way that will just help that particular devotion to the Lord and seeking him. Uh, our Senior Minister Bruce will say a little more about that uh, as he speaks, but um, wonderfully, um, a wonderful opportunity for us as God's people to seek him. Uh, speaking of opportunities, uh, over this next term we'll be featuring each week um, ministries that we're involved with here at St Matthew's that are all a part of us seeking to share the love and truth with Jesus, of Jesus uh, with people around us. Um, uh, what, what we're wanting to do there, they're, they're, we need so many people to be a part of those things. And, and it might be that as you hear of one of them, you realise, I'd, I'd love to be involved in that. And the first one that we're featuring today is uh, a ministry called Minimats, uh, which takes place here on Monday and Tuesday mornings, which is a, a fabulous opportunity for us to reach into the local community. We're going to hear from Tracy Scott about the, the opportunities and the needs there. Are you male or female? Do you have a birthday once a year? Do you have a heart for the people of Manly? If you've said yes to any of that, then you need to keep listening. Are you free on a Monday and a Tuesday for two hours? Because I run Minimats Playgroup and I'm in charge of all the volunteers. And at the moment, I don't have enough and I need you. So if you're free on a Monday and a Tuesday from nine to 11 and you don't mind doing a little bit of cleaning or chatting to uh, lovely mums and maybe holding a gorgeous baby or um, helping set up or pack down or just coming along and just being a friendly face then this is the area of church that you should get involved in. Um, Minimats has been such a great ministry over the years and now we have such brilliant facilities out here with the beautiful playground and, uh, and courtyard for little ones and mums 
and the, the whole program running uh, across the other side of the courtyard. Uh, amongst other things, we'll be praying for mini mats as, as we pray, but I'm going to lead us in prayer for a range of things uh, right now. Now, Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus and by your Holy Spirit. Hear our prayer and receive our thanks and praise to you, our glorious Lord. Heavenly Father, as schools resume this week, we pray for teachers, students and families across Australia. We pray that teachers and students will be diligent as they each play their part in protecting their school communities from outbreaks of COVID. We ask for those who have heightened anxieties at this time to find ways to minimise their fears, not least by learning to trust you. And Lord, as we look forward to this year, we pray it'll be a great year of learning in a safe and joyful environment. We pray for your special blessing on children from St Matthew's families, that this will be a year where they grow in their knowledge and love of you in the year ahead. And as we pray for little ones, we thank you so much for the ministry of mini mats on Mondays and Tuesdays. We thank you for Tracy and her wonderful leadership there. And we pray, Lord, that you'll raise up the workers that are needed uh, so that, that that ministry might flourish. And Father, as we seek you in this week of prayer and fasting, we ask that you would bring renewal in our hearts, that by your spirit you would humble our pride that you would stir our love for you and for others. Heavenly Father, we seek that wisdom and guidance and strength and protection that only you can provide. Enable us to take hold of all that is ours in Christ so that we may be a blessing to others and bring honour to your name. And looking back at this last week, Father, we want to say how thankful we are for how well the summer camp for youth went. We thank you in the first place that it, would, it could go ahead and that it went ahead without incident. In fact, that many children and young people were able to attend and that leaders did such a great job. We thank you that this has been a time of joyful and meaningful fellowship for many growing closer to you and deepening their knowledge and love and commitment to you. As this year unfolds, we pray that you'll protect the youth of our church we pray that you'll let their love overflow into their friendships beyond the church so that they might be a blessing to those around them. And Father, as we think about this great city of Sydney in which we live and the, the rapidly expanding edges of the city, we thank you for the partnership that we have with Life Anglican Church in Marsden Park. We thank you for the way that you're using Life Church to share the message of Jesus in this area. And Lord, we join them in asking that many more people will find new life in Christ and grow in their faith together with others. We pray that you'll bless their plans for new church programs this year, even as COVID-19 is impacting the availability of key leaders. We also pray that you'll answer their prayers to progress their plans for a new church building. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you with our concerns. And I'm going to give you an opportunity now to lift up before the Lord people who may be of concern to you and entrust them to his care. Pray to the Lord silently.
Lord God, we praise you for the privilege of being your children in the knowledge that you listen to and answer our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing again. And this song will be our collection song, and then Martin will bring us uh, our reading for today. reading this morning is taken from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. And you'll find this reading on page 1004 in your Bibles.
Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it, out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some a 100 times what was sown. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to church. And for those online, welcome along as well. 
Well, let me pray as we get back to Mark's gospel and think about the story that did change the world and continues to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful word and Father, we thank you for this fantastic parable and I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to have ears that hear, as Jesus said, and hearts that accept it and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to start with a simple question and it's just simply this, I wonder what your hearing is like. Now, I'm not asking you whether you have a hearing aid, and I'm sure there might be a couple of us here who've got hearing aids. It's a question I think that this passage is asking of us. It's really what our spiritual hearing is like. Are we people who are listening to God? And it's a very important question that I think this parable is going to throw up for us as we think about it today. Uh, We're returning to Mark's Gospel, it's term one, we did chapters one to three last year, this time we're doing chapter four, five, six, I'm not quite sure where we finish but I'm sure it'll be great Uh, and we want to just work our way through and just see again uh, what Jesus does and how he confronts us with what he says and this morning it's in particular a very well-known parable that is often taught at kids' church that we're going to look at and if you've got your Bibles there, it's Mark chapter four, verses 1 to 20, and uh, let me just pick up the context in verse 1. So I'm going to read for you. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. Now that lake is the Lake of Galilee. He's most likely in Capernaum, up on the northern side of it. Uh, He's been there already teaching by the lake in chapter 2, and he's returned there. It was one of his favourite places in his early ministry. And the crowd had gathered around him, and it was large. And so he gets into a boat. So immediately I'm feeling good about this story. And he sat it on the edge, he sat it out on the lake. While all the people were doing uh, along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said. And so you are introduced for the first time here, Jesus the storyteller or the parable teller. Um, and as Mark reminds us here, he often taught in parables. We're going to look at that and what that means shortly. But verse 3 uh, is interesting words. It says, listen, a farmer went out to sow the seed. And my first point is this, the parable of the sower. Question mark. Is that really what this parable is about? Now, if you've got your English NIV Bibles that we've got in the pews there, uh, they often have headings for sections. Some of them are very helpful. Some of them not so. And the heading there is actually, I think, not so helpful. Uh, it's described as the parable of the sower. I don't think that is the main point. Even though verse 3 says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. That's the last you hear about this farmer in this story. What do we find? Well, the story from verse 4 to verse 9, well known, is really a story about seeds and soil and the different responses of the seeds in the different soils. Uh, There are four soils, or perhaps more accurately, you could say four planting conditions. And there's actually six seeds in there, not four, because there's three mentioned at the end that have um, incredible results. And so three that are not fruitful, three that are. And you've got seed on the pathway. Verse 4, he's scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Uh, The question is, is the sower not that bright that he would sow it on the pathway? I'll come to that at the end. Uh, Verse 5, some seed is on the rock, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. My understanding from my reading, uh, it's quite likely there was a limestone layers in some parts of the fields uh, that you weren't able to see necessarily from the surface, but it produced a very shallow area for the soil so that when the sun came up, and in their seasons they had two wet seasons which were, if I can say, spread apart in the harvesting. They would have one at the start and one at the end, but they'd have this very hot period in the middle, and it's at this period where most likely Jesus is referring to the sun coming and the plants dying. Thirdly, there's seed in the weeds. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. And then finally, you see these three different sorts of seeds. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Let me say, the point of the story is not to get a mathematical analogy for ministry. It's worth noting that. Because sometimes people have tried to take this parable and use the maths in terms of making various applications. I don't think that is the point of what Jesus is wanting to say. But it is worth noting for the gardeners among us, and I know we've got some very keen gardeners among us, uh, why does the sower sow seed on paths, on rocky ground, where weeds are growing? You would think that the sower would be bright enough because it would have been very valuable seed, resource, to not do that. Well, the common practice in the Middle East in Palestine at that time was that they would sow the seed first and then they would plough the seed second. And they didn't have the luxury of fences in those days. They often just had uh, certain markers, trees, rocks that marked out the different property from one another. And the paths typically came after the ploughing that they would make a pathway in the sense that people would just start have a natural path that they would walk along, but they would plough the whole area. And it wasn't until later that you worked out where the path was. And because of that, you didn't know when you first sowed the seed where the rocky ground was. And weeds, as you know, for any gardener here, it always looks good when you sow it. The weeds come later. <laughs> and untended, they can have an enormous impact on gardens. And so they slowly grow up and they slowly take over. Now, it's interesting. Um, parables have sometimes been called earthly stories with a spiritual meaning. I want you to ask the question, if you're in the crowd... While the actions of the story would have been familiar to you, you'd probably be scratching your head thinking, what was he actually talking about? Because in verse 9 he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So if that's all you heard, what would you think he's talking about? I don't think you'd have a clue, to be honest. You think, why is Jesus telling us this story about sowing seeds? There is no indication given as to the meaning of the parable in the first telling by the Lord Jesus. The parable of the sower, well, that's what our English Bibles have titled it. But I think what we'll find out is it's more about the seeds and the soils. But as I said, my second point is this, the purpose of parables is worth stopping and thinking about this. No doubt in kids' churches around the world, and you might have been told this as well, that parables were earthly stories with a spiritual meaning. Now, who's heard that said? Numbers of people. And you can kind of understand why that is at a simplistic level. They're earthly stories that have got a spiritual meaning. Now, they are earthly stories. And Jesus was a great storyteller. 
And there is a spiritual meaning that he's wanting to convey, typically about the kingdom of God. But to just simply think of parables that way, I think is to do a misjustice to them. Have a look at verse 10. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. So they're trying to work out what's going on. They're not understanding. And then in verse 13, you read this as well. Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? In other words, the parables themselves were not self-obvious in terms of what they're referring to. And Jesus gives us the clue to understanding parables in verse 11 and 12. Now, let me just say, there is a lot of ink spilt in um, theological seminaries about these two verses because this is the parable about parables. This is where Jesus explains what he's doing with parables and so there's an enormous amount of literature written about it. I'm not going to make too many comments, but I do want to say a few things. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. In other words, there's an inside group and there's an outside group. And then he's got this enigmatic quote, which is very striking and very challenging to read. Because he says, to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that, verse 12, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, he's picking up a quote here from Isaiah the prophet from Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah was given these words by the Lord as he was about to begin his prophetic ministry to Israel. And in many ways, what God was telling him in was that your words will actually bring words of judgment on this nation. And that's exactly what took place. Though he also spoke of hope in the end of his prophecies, chapter 40 to 66. And in many ways, Jesus is saying, these parables I am going to speak will be words that judge people. And for those on the outside, they will bring judgment. And I think a better way of seeing them in terms of uh, understanding parables is that they were perhaps, you would say, riddles that needed to be solved. And I think Jesus was saying this, parables were designed to sift out those who were genuine and really wanted to know God against those who weren't. They have a function of causing us to either want to find out more, which is what the, par- the disciples did, they wanted to know more, or you just walk away thinking, oh, I don't know what this guy's on about. They sifted people spiritually, and they had the effect of finding those who were prepared to think long and hard about the matters of the kingdom of God that are not self-evident to people. And I think what you learn from Jesus here is this, um, you can't think yourself into the kingdom of God even though you need to think about the kingdom of God. The brain needs to be engaged, but it actually needs divine help and insight given to it by the Holy Spirit if we are to understand the gospel. And as you go through the gospel, it becomes increasingly clear that the message of Jesus is something so paradoxical, so totally opposed to human logic and insight that it takes nothing less 
than divine help and revelation to enable people to grasp it. Now, if you don't think I agree with me, just think about the experience of the disciples. One of the criticisms of them by Jesus is that they were, Mark chapter 7, and I love that phrase, why are you so dull? <laughs> now, an Australian would probably say, why are you so thick? <laughs> Don't you get it? And you see, the parables were designed to sift people. Do you really want to think about the kingdom of God? And they had the impact of working out where people's hearts were as their brains were engaged. And as we see here, you actually need the master to unveil them for you. And that's exactly what takes place with those on the inside who want to find out more. And so what is the meaning of this parable? Which is my third point. And I want to spend most of my time here. In many ways, this is the parable that explains all parables. But it's got a very powerful message for all of us here. In summary, it's a parable that's all about hearing and about the way we listen to God. Twice in the telling of the original parable in verses four, uh, sorry, in verse three and nine, Jesus used those words, listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he's not just saying, can you hear physically? He's saying, think about what I'm saying here. You need to listen. And you need to think and you need to engage. And what you see in this parable is a warning about bad listening. The first one is beware of poor hearing. We read there uh, in verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The word refers here to the gospel, which is what Jesus taught and announced, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, 14, as well as Mark chapter 2 in his teaching. Uh, that word logos, word is used there. And that is what Paul, uh, uh, Jesus was announcing. It was the gospel, the good news. And that's what's being referred to. And what Jesus is saying is that people can listen to the gospel in such a way that it's heard one moment and forgotten the next. And what he's saying is beware of not listening. I want to give some examples along the way as we think about what this means for us. Every minister I know who is faithful to the gospel will know this repeated reality. I'm sure many of you will know it as well. I have spoken to people endlessly about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it always stuns me how people can listen and nod their head about what is the most significant announcement in the world, that God has entered in the flesh, that he's come for us and for our salvation, as we talked about in the in him series that he's died risen and will one day return there is a judgment and that the next conversation is like you never had that first conversation and there's just this spiritual deadness in their heart and i get it that you typically won't be converted in the first conversation 
But you would think with the magnitude of the topic and the news that is announced in the gospel that you would at least take the time to think about it and explore it. I cannot tell you the number of people that I have spoken to where that's the reality. And Jesus says, don't be surprised because that is the work of the devil. He snatches the word away. And people's hearts are hardened. Let me just say a word to those who have loved ones close to you who are not open to listening to the gospel. I learned very early on in my ministry that trying to berate people into the kingdom of God is actually not that very effective. <laughs> in fact, it just makes people's hearts harder and more resistant. And I know all of us will most likely have those who are very close to us. They may be our children, it might be spouses, it might be siblings who are not in the kingdom. And if I can just encourage you to do two things. One, keep praying that God opens their heart. And two, keep living in a way that commends the gospel so that at some point they will ask the question, why do you live with hope? That's what 1 Peter 3 tells us to do. Berating is not that helpful. But secondly, we're not just to be aware of poor hearing, we're to be aware, beware of shallow hearing. Verse 16. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. People in this situation listen in such a way that what is heard is taken to heart straight away. Jesus says they'll hear it with a sense of joy. And you'll see this happen. Uh, I've seen people converted and very soon they've got a new Bible. Uh, they're down the front of church. Not saying that you are just the best Christian, but you're down the front. But they just can't wait to be here and they want to sing. And then at some point, early on in their walk with Jesus, trouble or persecution comes. And that's what Jesus says, it's because of the word. And typically it will be opposition in the sense of family or friends. Or decisions that being a Christian will mean that they need to make in their life to honour God. And they fall away. And the devil snatches that word away from them. I'm going to tell you a number of stories. None of them are here from Manly. I didn't think it was appropriate to talk about people who you might bump into. Uh, so I'm going to talk about people from my past church, in a, which is from a different region. And I well remember Jeff. His father had been a Christian uh, the whole time I'd been there at the church. His brother was a Christian. But he'd always been resistant. In fact, I knew very little about him. I just knew the dad and the son who came. And then we had a major outreach and an evangelist came to town called Greg Laurie. And he came and spoke at our church. And I think we had about 30 people go forward that night to give their life to Christ. It was quite a remarkable evening of ministry. And Jeff was one of them. And soon he was there every week. He'd got his new Bible. He joined a Bible study. But about six months in, the reality of the cost of discipleship of following Christ hit 
And opposition came because of the word, exactly what Jesus said. And very soon he just stopped coming. And people followed him up, but there was no sense of interest. And he'd just fallen away. And I'm sure you know of people who are in that uh, situation. And if I could just say a word this time to people who are new Christians here today, one thing when I get an opportunity to speak to new Christians is I say to them, one thing that you should expect now that you are following Jesus is that your faith will be tested at some point early on. I see this every single time, that the devil will be at work to try and stop you following him and typically it's what you see here in the passage that it comes in the form of opposition because of the word. That there'll be friends, there'll be family, there'll be decisions that they have to make that will challenge them as to what they really believe and will they really follow Jesus with their whole life to the end. And I say to young Christians, just beware, this is most likely going to happen in the next few months and I am never stunned but I keep hearing this from people I talk to, oh yes, and they will tell me of some situation where really their faith has been challenged and they've really had to work out, will I stick with this as a Christian? So don't just beware of poor hearing, beware of shallow hearing. When we hear the word, we need it to do something deep in our hearts and minds and take root. But thirdly, Beware of drowned out hearing. Drowned out hearing. Verse 18, still others like seed among thorns hear the word. Now any gardener here will know the weeds take time to take over. They grow up slowly. But when untended, they literally can take over. I saw a stunning picture of a house with a car and the car had just sat there obviously for months and the weeds had grown up over it and around it. <laughs> it was quite remarkable. Still others like seed among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. With this group of people, they listen in such a way that what is heard is really taken to heart. But sadly, slowly, over time, what dominates these people's lives are three key influences, Paul, uh, Jesus says, from the world. They're choked by the weeds of life. And there's three things here. The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. And it's interesting, the deceitfulness of wealth, uh, the word later became uh, translated the allure of it. The joy of it, <laughs> which I think is very telling. Let me tell you a story. I'm not going to use their real names, but Bob and Mary. When I met them, they were keen young Christians who had come to faith after getting married. They'd had kids. And they moved into the area and they joined the church I was at. And we were of a similar age and they started to grow in their faith and I remember being in Bible study with the husband 
I remember lots of happy times together with family, meals. We got on well. Kids were not exactly the same age, but, you know, similar enough. I surfed with the husband when I took up surfing. But one thing that always struck me about them was their ambition. They were very driven, focused people. And they were ambitious to get ahead in life in all ways. For the wife, it was study. She was a bright, very able lady, and she was someone who'd done psychology and had become a psychologist, and she was accepted into the PhD program. For the husband, it was doing well at work and climbing the corporate ladder with promotions. And they were great people, great to be around. But what caught their heart was this aspiration to do better, to be better, to rise higher. And what was once weekly worship when I first got to know them became fortnightly. The study, the assignments, the work pressures, they tell me. Then it was monthly. And then occasionally you'd see them at church. You'd follow them up, you'd call them, others did. But it was a similar story, we're busy, we've got this, we've got that. Eventually they moved away and they didn't rejoin a faith community of Jesus followers at a church. And you see the reality of the weeds that just grew up and very slowly choked the spiritual life out of them. Now, I don't know where they are today. They may return to the faith, who knows? But friends, when I look at us as a church, this is the one that worries me the most. The deceitfulness or the allure or the joy of money. We're deceived if we think that will not affect us here on the Northern Beaches. The desire for other things, again, we would be deceived if we think that will not affect us in this culture we live in that just wants more of everything. But as I read this, I couldn't help but think of the impact of COVID upon people's faith these past two years. And the first one I think we often move over because the deceitfulness, the allure, the joy of wealth, the desire for other things is such a strong thing in our culture and no doubt wreaks havoc with Christians' lives. But I found it very interesting that Jesus talks also about the worries of this life. And it's not necessarily money or possessions that can choke people. It's actually also worry. And while there's no doubt COVID has opened people up to the gospel, COVID has also revealed the depth of people's faith and how deep their roots in the gospel are. Through COVID, I've marvelled at how members have stepped up through this very tough time, how people have served in difficult circumstances, how people have logged on to online church, how people have continued to give generously through very tough times and when often there's been no in-person ministry. And let me say, I'm incredibly thankful for that. It's been profound. And I've been so encouraged, by the way, 
So many have returned to church after being away so long. And the way that members off their own bat have just taken initiative to care for people in need through this very tough time. And that is one of the great stories of faith here in difficult circumstances at St Matthew's. But sadly, it's not the only story. And while there are many positives, I've been staggered, saddened, challenged by the way some have disengaged with both their faith and the church community over these past 22 months. How worry, how anxiety, how just the whole impact of COVID has nullified faith and trust in the Lord to get you through. And COVID has done many things to all of us. I looked yesterday, over 2 million people in the country have contracted it. Sadly, 3,616 Australians have died with it. COVID has disrupted it. It's changed patterns of work. It's changed our view on life. It's caused significant mental health issues. It's generated anxiety in people. And some are now suffering long COVID. But from a spiritual point of view, I think what it's done is exposed the depths of people's roots in the gospel and their faith in Christ. And it's laid bare what is the reality of faith for people. And the question I have for all of us through this time is, what is it that we really trust in? Because I think that's what's been revealed. And this parable forces us to ask this question, to what extent are we hearing the gospel and engaging with it with our hearts and believing it and trusting it? Because may we be like that fourth soil and seek fruitful hearing other seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times. And I love that phrase, they hear it and they accept it, they trust in it, they believe it, they live by it, it shapes their life. And it's been wonderful to see through COVID the way people's faith has borne fruit through this time. It's been beautiful. But I want us to stop and just think about the year ahead because we do have challenges and we've got people who are struggling. We've got people who are straying. And that's why the start of the year for me is such an important time. And I think this prayer and fasting week is, never, is needed more than ever this year than previous years. That we as a parish are on our knees praying to God for him to do a great work of personal renewal in all of our hearts because that is what's required, the Spirit of God to renew us so that we draw close to him and those who have let the weeds choke them be drawn back. And let me just say one word of encouragement. I think the congregation that has encouraged me most is actually 8 o'clock. You guys have been incredible with your faithfulness through this. It's our younger generations who have struggled the most, who have shallower roots and less walking with the Lord that have been exposed the most. And so I just want to encourage you and exhort you and call you as we finish to take this week of prayer and fasting seriously because we need renewal in this parish in such a significant way and we need to be working and praying that God brings our hearts back to him where they have strayed. Friends, what is your hearing like? 
when it comes to listening to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your wonderful word, the word of the gospel. May it take deep root in our hearts and minds. May we trust in the Lord Jesus with all of our heart, mind and soul. And I pray, Lord, for this week of prayer and fasting ahead that you would give us a hunger and a passion for you that surpasses the physical hunger of food and seeks your kingdom with a passion, with a joy. And may we be on our knees praying for your kingdom to come and for hearts to be changed and renewed in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing. We're going to stand and sing. Thank you. Martin and Barbara. Please take your seats.
Uh, so this, week's, uh, this promises to be an important week in the life of St Matthew's in our prayer and fasting week. There'll be all kinds of ways which we as individuals will engage with that. If there are any of the details that we shared this morning that you missed, they were all in Bruce's email uh, that he sent out on uh, Friday. And if you didn't get an email from Bruce and you'd like to get that weekly email, please let us know and we'd be very glad to put you on the email circulation list. And speaking of email circulation, Bruce will actually send out each evening prayer points for the following day. Uh, they'll be the topics for the, the, the um, morning and lunchtime prayers. And if you're not able to make them, it would be great to engage with those prayer points as well. It's been really interesting, hasn't it, to get back to the story that changes everything and to hear Jesus explaining what he's doing as a teacher and if there's one takeaway from today, it's the importance of listening well to him, uh, devoting ourselves to reading and studying his word, to being here like we are this morning and hearing his word. But more than just hearing it, making sure that we take it into ourselves. Wouldn't it be wonderful if for each one of us we proved to be like that fourth soil which welcomed the seed and and provided the circumstances in which it could grow and flourish and be very, very fruitful. That's certainly what we're praying for this week. Uh, as we prepare to leave, uh, morning tea will be served across in the function room, uh, but let me give you this word of encouragement from Paul's letter to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.